Good morning. Good mid-morning. I have for the last couple of mornings done something that I'm very appreciative for the opportunity to do. And that is I took the first hour of my day and had coffee with my son. Enjoyed that very, very much. And then I got in here and, and got in the word. So let's do this. Such cool things in here today. So um, we are going to continue with Jesus. We're starting um, Matthew 22, February 22. And Jesus answered and spake unto them. We're still referencing up. We did that yesterday as well. You know, you've got to remember that when scripture was written, it wasn't broken down in chapter and verse. This was done later by scholars to help us locate things quickly in all this big, big, big text. So it was it was originally written without the separation of chapters. And so sometimes you have to make yourself go to the chapter above and pretend like that breaking point is not there so you get some fluidity happening. So Jesus answered and spake unto them. So the them is the chief priests and Pharisees by parables. You know, it's it's been a bit since Jesus spoke to his um, own disciples in parables. And remember when he first started talking in parables and the disciples asked him why, he said, um, because... Um, seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. They're, in other words, they're they're not attuned to spiritual things. It's only given to those who are seeking spiritual things. Remember, we talked about how God hides himself. And when we reveal to him our interest in knowing the hidden things, he gladly reveals them to us. Um, hold on a minute. I need to tighten my stand here. He gladly reveals them to us. But so he's back to talking parable after parable after parable again. And it's because he's talking to these people that he's not trusting. <clears throat> um, Jesus answered and spake unto them by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. So this, I'm not going to read this word for word, but it's, it's a representation of, how through the ages, servants were sent out to call people to come close to the Lord. And um, they they had excuses. They made light of it, went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. And that is a reference to these Old Testament prophets here, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, and so forth. They, they wouldn't listen to them, though they tried to speak. <clears throat> when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. He sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. They went into exile into Babylon. 
Um, then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. <sighs> it's so sad because he's, of course, talking about his chosen people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. These were his chosen people. They which were bidden were not worthy. I It just breaks my heart. And of course, it's nice to know the end of the story because the end of the story, even though we Gentiles have been grafted in to the vine, the end of the story is that God's going to give them another chance and opportunity to have a mighty revival. And that's what I am praying for. And that's what we should all be praying for. So go into the highways and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. And this is the season we are in right now. We are fishers of men. We we are out there saying, whosoever will, let them come. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, both bad and good. Both bad and good. You know, this is, um, I have encountered this in my soul winning processes. I have won some people to the Lord. And when you're new to the Lord, you kind of think everybody is good. <laughs> you come into a church and everybody looks like they've got their act together, right? They, they look so perfect in the way they dress and they know that they, they seem like they know how to lift their hands and they know when to say amen to the sermon. And it just seems like they, they know what they're doing. And, and when you're the new kid on the block, it's hard to believe that there is any bad among them. And I've got people that I am, I am teaching about being disciples of Christ. And when they see me, um, teaching others that they consider bad, they are like, you know, they want to tell me privately, like, do you know that, you know, they're not very moral or do you know they've got problems? I'm not going to mention the things that they say to me, but they, they do privately come to me going, um, are you aware that they got this bad thing going on? I'm like, yes, I'm aware, but this is what I'm called to do. I am called to go out into the highways and as many as I find, I, I'm going to invite them to be a part of this marriage that God has sent us out to. I'm going to go out to the highways and byways and compel them to come in. And they're going to be bad and good. I'm not going to be the one judging whether or not they're good enough to come to this marriage. That's, that's not my place. My place is just to get them in because ultimately I'm not their judge. God is their judge. The word judges us. And so we continue actually seeing this unfold. When the king came in and saw the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The, the, the guest, the friend that came, and I love that the king is calling him friend. Um, he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many are called for your chosen. We're going to talk about this for a second, but I want to point out this wedding garment thing because um, I, I, I was not aware of what this meant. 
And when I've done some lightweight research, I've not really found what this wedding garment was a symbolism of. In Christ's parables, he is always using real life scenarios to symbolize something spiritual. He always uses real life scenarios when he talks about wine or when he talks about sheep or when he talks about uh, uh, sowers going forth to sow. He always talks about something the people would know. They, they see it in their culture. They know about it. And he uses scenarios that they are well aware of to teach them spiritual things. And that's what's happening here. But because um, it's not in my American culture to know about a wedding garment, I've done some work. And I was so happy to find that that this actually occurs in the Bible. And we see it in Genesis 45. When Joseph's family is, you know, Joseph's been in, in Egypt for all these years, having been sold to, um, to slave traders. But when Joseph's family is going to come in to see Pharaoh, Pharaoh provides them clothing because Pharaoh wants specific clothing in his presence. And we find that in Genesis chapter 45, um, verses 17 through 22. Pharaoh provides clothing. And so this is something that is a part of that culture. Where we see it in today's cultures, actually, periodically on Instagram, I will see it. Um, I follow a lot of fashion accounts. And so Instagram will give me reels that, you know, have to do with clothes specifically. It knows I follow modest clothing accounts and, um, so it gives me some uh, modest clothing and it also gives me um, wedding accounts because I, I like to see pretty clothes. So the algorithm will give me those things even though I'm not necessarily following them. So I have been seeing on Instagram um, lately where somebody will ask all guests to wear a certain color. Um, and a really recent one I saw that was interesting was was a, a bride asked all wedding guests to wear white. And of course, that's unusual because usually only the bride wears white. But she asked everybody to wear white and that was cool. So, you know, maybe we'll see it in our American culture um, uh, for for a season anyway. But you see this and have always seen it in Indian weddings. And I'm not talking about Native Americans. I'm talking about people from India with this Indian heritage and their weddings are, you know, sometimes three days long and there are changes of clothes that happen over the period of the wedding. Um, and guests are asked to wear specific clothing to an Indian wedding and also Jewish weddings. Now, Jewish weddings are more, um, westernized, then Indian weddings and in Indian weddings, you'll see, you know, the sarongs and the, the more traditional Indian culture clothes. Whereas in Jewish weddings, you will see Western clothes. Um, but there are still protocols. And, um, I had, I went down a huge rabbit hole when I got to this one because so much of it is about, um, that goes hand in hand with, um, Pentecostal modesty 
attire. This was super, super fun. I was screenshotting it like crazy and sending it to my pastor because he teaches um, a lot about modern modesty based on the fact that we are um, grafted in to the Jewish family. And so he teaches a lot about that. And so I was sending him all those because that's going to, he's going to enjoy that. So yeah, this wedding garment is a big deal. And, you know, we live in a, what we call a dispensation of grace. That's what we call this time from where Christ preached and his ascension and the and the church that started in the book of acts all the way until today we call it the dispensation of grace and what's unfortunate is that people who do not want to recognize that there are actual specific lifestyle and attire rules laid out in the epistles which is where we get our direction from there are rules about attire about how we dress about how we behave about our attitude about how we treat our boss our employers about how employees are supposed to treat their employers employers employees about how we're supposed to treat each other as family um, how we're supposed to handle grudges. There are just as detailed as the law of Moses was in, in things. There, even though we're not living by Moses' law, there are still very detailed things that we are given instruction to follow in the New Testament. But because we say we are living in a dispensation of grace, we unfortunately convey to new disciples that this is not a possibility that Christ will not eventually come and say, why aren't you very specific? The King said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, there are some very particular things. Now, I'm not going to get into the particulars of what the, the epistles teach about how we dress and how we behave. I'm not going to get into that specifics, but I am going to tell you that even though this wedding garment is something symbolic, the symbolism is still here. And if we do not learn and get specific and recognize that there is specific things, this will be our fate. There will be a judgment given and we will end up, if we're on the wrong side of that judgment, weeping and gnashing our teeth. So let's look at this. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. So the word called is a, is a Greek word, kletos, kletos, and it means invited. Many are invited. In fact, we see that here. Go therefore into the highways and as many as you find, bid to the marriage, invite them. Many are invited, 
but few are chosen. Now, we see this word chosen as strictly meaning picked. And therefore, we do not recognize our responsibility in the word chosen. We kind of feel like, well, you know, if God's looking out over this whole flock and he is choosing whoever he chooses, I can't help it if I'm not the chosen. But that's not true. That's our English word way of thinking about it. The word is eclectos, and it does mean picked out or chosen, but it specifically means the best of its kind or class. Excellence. So who makes us the best of our kind or class? We each do as individuals. Who makes Danae excellent? I make Danae excellent. I decide every day whether I'm going to be the best of me, the best of who I am, the best of my kind or class. And I get to choose if I'm going to be lazy or if I'm going to rise to the occasion, if I'm going to do hard things to be excellent. I choose this about myself every single day. Am I going to do the hard thing? Am I going to rise above my temperament? Am I going to rise above how I'm feeling? If Am I going to rise above I, I, my attitude? I choose this about myself every single day, whether I'm going to be the best of me or the worst of me, whether I'm going to be an excellent version of me or if I'm just going to be the, the most relaxed and, and get by version of me. That is the difference in being invited and being chosen. Chosen has, is not about God saying, oh, I like this person better than that person. That's not what this is about at all. I get to choose whether I'm going to rise to the occasion and put on the garment provided, or if I'm just going to show up comfortable. I get to choose whether or not I'm going to put on the provisions and the teachings and the understandings God is giving me. Am I going to put them on or am I going to excuse myself? Well, this is the dispensation of grace. God can, God's just going to look past everything. No, many are invited to come, but few rise to this occasion. Few choose to be the best of its kind. Few choose excellence. You know what this reminds me of? Broad is the way. And many there be that follow it. Narrow is the way to eternal life. Few there be that find it. Many are called. Few are chosen. We choose. We choose if we are excellent. We choose if we are the best of our kind. We choose every day. Many are called. Few are chosen. So this is moving on another very important part that we have to tie back to something we've studied before. And this is the Pharisees took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Let me take a sip of tea. 
So they want to, they want to try to trip him up and they sit out their disciples. Everybody's got disciples, my friends. Whose disciple are you? Huh? Whose disciple are you? Are you your pastor's disciple? Or are you some fly-by-night's disciple? Because you need to make sure you are a disciple. This is a disciple of Pharisees. These are disciples of Pharisees. Are you a disciple of somebody whose fruit is fruit that Jesus would approve of? Whose disciple are you? I am a disciple of my pastor. And um, he has appointed various teachers that you can be a disciple of. And by being a disciple of those teachers that he has appointed, you are a disciple of your pastor as well. Uh, so they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians. Um, this is uh, some political nonsense. Saying, Master. So they're acknowledging Jesus is a teacher. We know you are true. We know you teach the ways of God in truth. You don't care about any man. You're no respecter of persons is what he's saying here. Thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why are you tempting me? You're a hypocrite. Show me tribute money. He said, Who is the image? They said, Caesar's. Render therefore unto Caesars the things that are Caesars and unto God the things that are God's. This is why before this ever occurred, their previous behavior was very important. Do you remember when we looked at Matthew 17 on February 17th? Peter and Jesus paid their taxes. I think I've got it marked here. I do. I do. Right here. When they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, does not your master pay tribute? And he, Matthew, uh, Peter came to Jesus and Jesus had a conversation with Peter where Jesus said, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think we need to be paying taxes. But notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take a fish. When you're open his mouth, you'll find money, take it and give it to them and pay our taxes. Jesus properly worked within the law of the land. We talked about that on February 17th. So now we're finding that it is a super good thing that Jesus did not live by his own opinion about the government and politics because they came to him to trick him and he was able to say, render unto Caesars what is Caesars and unto God the things that are God's. He had already demonstrated this. It's very important that we live within the bounds of our laws. Now, once the laws start crossing the word of God, like for instance, Daniel, 
when the law started saying he should not, could not pray, Daniel broke that law. But in general, when we can abide and paying taxes, we clearly see is abiding within the law that even Jesus abided by. Okay, let's move on. The same day, my word, poor Jesus, he's just getting barraged by these attacks. The same day came to him the Sadducees. Now, this is, this is a group of people that does not believe in resurrection, okay? So they do not believe a person can be raised from the dead. And they've got a whole, today we would call this a denomination, the Pharisees are what we would today call a denomination. You've got the Pharisees as a denomination. You've got the Sadducees as a denomination. You've got the Herodians as a denomination. They had multiple denominations in this time as well. They just didn't call them denominations. We call them that today in our modern language. But the Sadducees is a group of religious people that does not believe in resurrection. So they came and they had, they had questions that was dumb. Master, again, they're, they're acknowledging he, he's, he is a master. Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed into his brother. And now there were seven brothers and they kept marrying the same woman because the, they kept dying. And so, therefore, in the resurrection... Because they don't believe in a resurrection. So they're saying, so therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? <laughs> For they all had her. Because they, they one, one brother died right after another. And the custom was that if a brother died and she had not had a son, that the next brother was to marry her to give the first brother a son. So now they've presented this ridiculous idea. This is like who came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, yeah, anyway, they've, they presented this stupid thing and Jesus said, you err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. You err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. You, we, they need to know and we need to know both the scriptures and the power of God. We need to know what God is capable of doing and we need to know the scriptures. And speaking of knowing the scriptures, as soon as I saw this ridiculous question, I thought of Titus 2.8. Did I mark? I did. I marked Titus 2.8. Let's look at Mark Titus 2.8. Avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law for they are unprofitable and vain. Avoid foolish questions. Don't get yourself caught in this situation where you're trying to tempt people's beliefs. They've got, they've got something that they believe. It is their scripture. Don't, don't get engaged and involved in, in contentious questions. You err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. And then he goes on to describe what would happen in that case. And so getting towards the end of the scripture here, when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence. <laughs> I love it. 
Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, man, poor Jesus, saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Okay, Jesus said, this is again, this is another good exercise for us. Let me put this verse down, this paper down. This is another good exercise for us. So what is the great what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said, which is the great commandment? Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the, this is the first and great. And the second is likened to it. So this is, this is very important. But he said, the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Why are these equally important to Jesus? Because on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. When you go back and read the commandments that read the, the commandments, you will find that the, that they in some way take care of loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind and taking care of your community loving their, your neighbor as yourself. And so this is an exercise that we need to also engage in because if we will spend our time loving the Lord and loving our neighbor as ourself, if we will spend our time, our money, and our energies fulfilling these two things, how can I love God today with all my heart, soul, mind, and and with all my heart, soul, and mind, and how today can I love the people of my community as I love myself? If we will spend our time and energy doing those things, we will be fulfilled because the whole reason that God makes commandments to begin with is to make, is for our own well-being, to help us live a fulfilling life. And so if we will spend our energies Loving the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. How does the, what I'm doing right this minute spend energies on this? And how does what I'm doing right this minute spend energy on loving my community as myself? If we will do that, we will find ourselves fulfilled. And then we're going to end with this right here. Jesus silences the Pharisees about the Messiah. This is super cool because while the Pharisees were gathered together right here, while the Pharisees are together asking this question, Jesus asks them a question. This is rare for this to happen. I love this very much. Jesus asked, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? <laughs> this is like, this is like, Clark Kent asking somebody about Superman. This is so cool. <laughs> I love it so much. Jesus asked them, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Again, I love how much Jesus knows scripture. He's 
he is, he spent those 30 years, those 30 years before he started his ministry, studying, 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 studying. He did not go out in ministry, even though he was God in the flesh, ignoring and not spending energies memorizing scripture. Ah, oh, man, I love this about Jesus. And he's quoting Psalms 110 verse 1. And you know what? I'm going to take time real quick and go to that. Um, Psalm 110. One thirty-six. Come on now. One ten. There it is. Psalms one ten. This is special because of the Greek, and when the Greek was translated to um, English, they did something special. Anytime um, the word um, YHWH in in the uh, Hebrew. We say letters, characters. I don't know what you call them. Anyway, anytime it's Jehovah, it's all caps. And so that's what you have here. You've got capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord said to my Lord, the, the, in this Lord, the L is capitalized, but the rest of it is not. So this is Jehovah said to lowercase, a, a person of the earth. Sit thou at my right hand until I make the enemies a pistol. So let's get back to Matthew. If David then if David then call him Lord, how is he his son? <laughs> oh, this is so cool. So he asks them he asks them this question because they know this verse. So he says, if David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not an answer to this question. It just means that the Pharisees, the Pharisees did not know how to answer this question. And that's because they did not want to bring themselves to open their eyes to realize that Jesus was God in the flesh. And in John 8, 58, Jesus said, before Abraham was, by the way, Abraham is before David, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, past tense, I am, present tense. From the burning bush, God said, say, I am that I am has sent me. The eternal one, the one who has no beginning, who has no ending. That's how he was able to say, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. They couldn't answer him, but I can answer him. There is an answer before Abraham was, Jesus already was. And that's how he was able to do it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Jesus Christ is God Almighty manifest in the flesh. Oh, I love the word of God. Okay, thank you for joining me today. 
I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.